we are continuing this morning in our uh, sermon series into the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah, and we're reading this morning from chapter 6, uh, uh, and we're going to turn there almost right away. Um, it, chapter 6 is kind of split into kind of two parts, uh, but, but of course also several parts that tell this one cohesive story of this chapter. And, and uh, this, is, this is the call of Isaiah. So this is the chapter that we would have thought to be chapter 1 in the book of Isaiah. You know, normally if, if an author is writing a book, they might introduce themselves first, tell about themselves, tell about, you know, why they are qualified to say the things that they're about to say. But Isaiah's story is a little bit different. He had those, those first five chapters, a, a sort of prologue and introduction to what the whole book is about. And so finally now in chapter 6, we're hearing of Isaiah's call, Isaiah's commission into uh, the line of work of being a, a prophet. And so let's read that story together this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. But then one of the seraphim flew to me, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go. And tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of these, this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's, there's sort of two parts. There's sort of the action that's happening in this throne room. And then there's the instruction given in, in verses 9 to the end, 9 to 13, of, of what Isaiah is supposed to do. So we'll start with the, the situation. What's happening to Isaiah in this place? And I think it's, it's safe to say that Isaiah finds himself in a bit of a tight 
spot. Now, you Bible readers will have known that, that the Old Testament and everyone who lived in, the, in the, the nation of God would have known that to be in the presence of God, the Lord Almighty, was a very dangerous place to be. Even Moses, the friend of God who was on Mount Sinai with God, could not bear to look upon him. Even Moses, one of, one of the, the most um, highly revered characters in Scripture, could not look at God. And here is Isaiah finding himself in the throne room of God, unable to look anywhere but at God. It says, the train of his robe filled the temple. That is to say, everywhere around Isaiah was God. The train of his robe being, being symbolic for him, for God himself. And then he says this, this, great, this great line, and, it, and it's, it's otherwise insubstantial in and of itself. He says, woe to me. Woe to me. I was like, okay, yeah, that's just sort of prophetic words that people say in the Bible. But if you were here last week, I had you read a section of chapter 5. I had you read a section of chapter 5. And in that section, I said, pay attention to where, where Isaiah says, Woe to you. Or woe to those who, you know, have done these various sins. And so we just read like 15 verses of Isaiah offering caution, offering caution to people who are sinning and warning them that if they don't turn away from their sin, judgment will come to them and destruction will come to them. And then the very next verse, or the very next chapter, the first thing Isaiah says is not woe to those who have sinned. It's woe to me. Because he realizes though his call is to prophesy and is to tell other people about their, their sin and, their call, and call them to repentance, he immediately, especially in the presence of God, has to reconcile that he himself is a sinner. Oh shoot, he might have been thinking. I'm doomed. Might have been thinking. He says it. Woe to me, for I am ruined. He knows immediately that this has come. Now, we have the benefit of reading chapter 5 before reading chapter 6, so we can see the, the literary, the, the irony of what he is saying. But as we kind of think about this, we say, well, he was called to this, before he said woe to those who are sinning in chapter 5. He was called to this work. This scene happened first. It's kind of backwards. And it actually makes Isaiah both more relatable and more optimistic. And more relatable because he's, he's also a sinner. He's not just pointing out at everybody else and saying, ah, you bunch of those other sinners who are doing those sins are so bad while well, I'm so good. No, he, he first says, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He says, I am sinful. I'm surrounded by sin. And I am ruined. 
Isaiah is no different than those other sinners. Though he is called to prophesy this condemnation and call to repentance, as we read about in the second half, he is still forced to reconcile with his own mortality and sin and depravity. If we were to, to highlight some of the points of Calvinism, this is the total depravity in this chapter. This is it. This is sin. Woe to me, I am ruined. But what happens next, what happens next is, of course, the story of the Bible. It's atonement. It's atonement. And, and he's looking around and he sees all this stuff and he's, he's probably wondering, how is God going to just finish me off? I'm surrounded by flames. Maybe I'll be burned up. Maybe the smoke will asphyxiate me. Who knows? And instead, what happens is God forgives him. And more than that, it says atones for him. His atonement comes to him through this coal which was on the altar. It says, the, the, the exact words, it says, um, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What an incredible prophecy. What an incredible prophecy for someone who is undeserving of forgiveness and atonement to receive it is unheard of. That, that is not what happens. Okay, the people of Israel, the, the nation of God, had broken covenant with God. Part of a covenant is, is an irreversible, undeniable condemnation consequence for those who break the covenant. And you will remember that the consequence for breaking the covenant of Moses, which they had done, was death. It was death. And so he would have been getting his just desserts by dying. And yet he doesn't. God forgives. God atones for him. And, and anyone who is, is not even familiar with the Bible, even vaguely familiar with Christianity, knows that that faith in the, the Christian faith is about this atonement, about forgiveness. Not because we deserve it, not, not because Isaiah did anything special to deserve this grace. He was condemned and he should have been condemned, but instead he is forgiven just like we have been offered forgiveness. Just like we have been offered forgiveness. Now, I, I taught a course in, when I was in seminary, I interned at a church, and, and I was responsible for teaching the, the high school Bible class. And we were going through the prophets, and something I used every single week to highlight the story of those prophets is their name. Most of the prophets, I think, I'm not going to say all, because I, I'm not 100% on all, but many of the prophets have a name that means what the book is about. Elijah means God is the Lord. What happens in the stories of Elijah? Well, they mostly prove that God is the Lord, like God is the real God. Elisha, God is salvation. What happens in the stories of Elisha? People get saved. <laughs> Isaiah, salvation is the Lord's. Another way to say that is... A, a defining characteristic 
of the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is salvation. This is what it's about. And, and here we are, the very first scene of Isaiah's life as a prophet, he receives salvation. Grace upon grace, irresistibly given to him, undeservedly because of his sin. God, the Lord, saves. If you write notes, that's one you can write down for this morning. He doesn't deserve it. He still gets it. The thing about this, and and I'll just take a second to highlight something that I highlight over and over and over again to uh, re-up that reminder to you, is that Isaiah was not special. Isaiah was a pretty normal guy. He sinned. He went about his life pretty ordinarily. He was a normal guy. God took someone ordinary, an ordinary human being, and by the grace of God, called him to do something extraordinary. Something extraordinary. And, and more than that, something extraordinarily difficult, which we'll hear about in a second. And, and I wanted to bring this up because um, I write my messages, when I write out the notes, I write them in Google Docs, uh, like the word processing thing on the computer, Google Docs, and it has a feature um, of predictive text, so kind of like autocomplete on your phone, you know how that works. And I've clearly talked about this before, because when I wrote, God choose, takes ordinary people, it said, to do extraordinary things, as if it was saying, like, do you want to say that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, like I've taught this before to you. God takes everyday people like you and me and does just incredible, extraordinary things. He did it with Isaiah. He can do it. He wants to do it with you. So let's get to the second half of this chapter. I'm going to first highlight what God says, and then we'll talk about the, the sort of meat, the, the pinnacle of this, the, the verse 8 and 9. Because verse 10 to the end, God is giving Isaiah something incredibly difficult to do. He's saying, go tell all these people how they need to repent, and, and that they will be condemned and judged and destroyed if they don't repent. But by the way, they're not going to listen. No one's going to listen to you. Go do it, but nobody's going to listen. Boy, that's a miserable job, isn't it? If you were told to, to, you know, you got hired by a company and said, hey, you're going to be in sales, and every single day you're going you're gonna to go and talk to people about selling the products of the company. Nobody's going to buy anything. But you've got to do it, and, and you're going to do it for your whole life, and you better do a good job, but nobody's ever going to buy anything. That would be pretty miserable, wouldn't it? Maybe you're called to be a parent, and and your kids were never going to listen. They're always going to do the wrong thing. You tell them to do something, they do the other things. This is what Isaiah is called to, frustration and difficulty. And and frankly, he he is hated for it. Because he is saying what nobody wants to hear. And yet, God calls him to do this. Okay, so let's get, with that sort of worked out, let's get to this. Verse 8 and 9, this is just the best stuff. 
God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I want to talk about grammar. Oh, boy. Everybody gets excited when I want to talk about grammar because he says, here am I, send me. Now, if you have a bulletin with you, I, I missed a correction in the bulletin this week. It says in your bulletin, it says, here I am, right? If you really want to, like, if this helps you to drive it home, scribble it out and write, here am I. Now, here's why. If we were, if we were like, playing a game, and that game was hide-and-seek, and I was hiding, but I was my two-year-old son, I would stay about two seconds, I'd go, here I am! Here I am! And I'd be telling you where I am. I'd be, it, it's a locative, a locative expression. Here I am! That's nice. That makes sense. It's good. It, it would fit. In, in fact, in this passage, you know, it's fine. Isaiah would be like, God is saying, who shall I send? And Isaiah's like, well, here I am. Do you want to send me? Maybe he's asking. That's not what it says. It says, here am I. And it's, it's not like, well, here I am back here. It's like, I am giving myself to you as an offering. Here am I. Perhaps it would be like, like here's, a, here's a book. If I were to, to give this, I would say, here is a book, an offering, and I would give it to you. I'll take it back, thanks. But if, if I were to say, here book is, you'd be like, great. You've got a book. That's nice. Right? Thank you. This language, this tiny, tiny little language of switching around the those two tiny words, just three letters in English, totally changes the posture of Isaiah. Isaiah has been saved. Isaiah has been completely redeemed, his sins atoned for. He has not taken that lightly. And so when God, the person who saved him, says, hey, whom shall I send? He's not like, oh, you could send me. He's like, no, here, here am I. Take me. Do with me as you need done. Use me. We see this in, in sort of popular culture as well, in, in books and movies and stuff like that. And, and uh, the expression, I think, that has prevailed in popular culture for this uh, comes from Star Wars. And, and I think in Star Wars, they call this a Wookiee life debt. Any nerds out there familiar with that? It's okay. We see this in other places, too. This is in, like, Harry Potter has this. Um, the Marvel series Guardians of the Galaxy has this. Uh, it's all over the place. So, so what is that? It's this idea that, that one person or one character has saved the life of another character. And so the person who has been saved has been given a, a new lease on life by the, the, the savior character. And so the saved person is like, well, my whole life that exists now is because of that person, and so I owe my whole life to that person who saved me. 
This is the relationship between, um, I, I think, Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson in Shanghai Noon. That's like a 90s callback for you older folks. Medium old folks, I suppose. This is how we can view Isaiah. He has been saved. His life was over. He stood in the throne room of God surrounded by fire and smoke and should have immediately fallen down dead, lifeless, no breath left in his lungs. But he's not. He's not. He's not. He's saved. His sins are atoned for. And he says, I, I, I don't deserve to be here anymore. I have no, no ground to stand on on my own merit. I don't deserve to be here. And so you need to, anything, God? You saved me? I am yours. And so he says, here am I. He offers, like the book offered to Brian, here am I. Send me. Pleading, imploring God, please send me. Because he has been saved by an undeserved grace, the grace of God. You know, this, this, this is prophecy, this book. It's prophecy, and it, it, it gives us an idea, a foretaste of, of what may be to come. And, and we see these, this prophecy uh, repeated in Christ. The life of Isaiah being saved by grace, his sins atoned for, was not just given to him. In Jesus, sin has been atoned for to all who call upon his name and believe in him. The grace of Jesus is extended to you. And we haven't had this scenario, this, this we could call it a near-death experience like, like Isaiah had. Maybe you have had something like that, but I'm sure you haven't stood in the throne room of God surrounded by flaming angels. Maybe it would be nice to have that experience because that would really drive home just how saved we are. That salvation is real. That life is a gift. But I think we don't want that, to be honest, not just because it would be scary to nearly die, but because that would also mean that we would feel this call to offer ourselves as sacrifices, living sacrifices to our God. To give our whole lives, our whole selves, everything we are and we have to the Lord is, is a big ask. But not in comparison to a new lease on life. Not in comparison to, to nothing at all. If we were dead in our tracks, if, if we were nothing but a pile of ashes, it would be our joy to have life and life in the name of our God and our Savior, Jesus. We have that opportunity to say, here am I. God, send me. I don't know what that looks like for each individual person. It's impossible to say what you have and what God is asking of you, but the Heidelberg Catechism says it like this in 86. It says, Since we have been delivered from our sin by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, just like Isaiah, says, why then should we do good works? The question, of course, being like, if good works aren't earning us salvation, why do good things? 
Catechism answers that question like this. It says, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image. Here it is. So that with our whole lives, we may show that we are thankful to God for the benefits so that he may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. People of God, so that we can sing, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior just from 10 till 11 on Sunday morning. No, I mean all the day long. God's call in your life is, is for your whole life. In difficult, to do difficult things and to do easy things. To give sacrificially as an offering to our God. I'll end uh, by, by just saying this. Angels in the Bible. Let's talk about that for a second. There's this, this, the room is full of angels that Isaiah is in. He looks around and all he sees is these seraphim, angels. Now, angels, the word in, in Hebrew is, is the same word used for a messenger. Someone who takes a message from here to there, you know. A messenger. Someone who is sent, if you will by a king to someone else. And so when God says, whom shall I send? There is a room full of people whose job it is as angels to be sent. Their existence is to be sent. That is to say, in this entire throne room, the least qualified person to be sent is definitely Isaiah. Definitely Isaiah. And yet, of course, we know he says, here am I, send me, and he, he asks to be sent. And what, what, do we, what do we learn from that? What do we learn? We learn that it's not about whether the thing that we are offering, which is ourselves, it's not about whether it's good or great. It's not about whether it's better than what someone else can offer. It's about sacrifice. It's about giving. Isaiah was not the best person for the job in that room. Messengers of the angelic variety are better at sending messages. But God called Isaiah. And Isaiah was willing, even, even knowing that he was surrounded by messengers, even knowing that maybe God wouldn't choose him, he was willing to give his whole self to the task that God had called him to do. The thing about sacrificial giving is that the offering is not about whether it's, it's as good as ba- or bad as what someone else gives. There's a room full of people who could be more qualified to do the thing than you might be. The reality is there's always going to be people more qualified. There's always going to, as I talked with the kids, there's always going to be someone who's faster who's better at swimming, who's faster at running, who's, who's smarter or quicker, or whatever it is. It's always going to be someone. It's not about whether you're the best for the job. It's about whether you're willing to give all that you have to God. God doesn't 
God doesn't need to have the best to accomplish something extraordinary, does he? Because God uses ordinary people, everyday folks, to do extraordinary things. <laughs> not because we're so qualified, not because we have all the right skills and the equipment, but because of God. Our sacrifice isn't about being the best. It's not about comparing to others. Our gifts given to God is not about comparison. It's about gratitude. Gratitude for sparing your life. And more than that, for promising us eternal life. People of God, as you go into your week, as you wonder about what God has in store for you, that situation comes up or that moment arises, I wonder how you will say, here, here am I. Here am I. Choose me. Send me, God, so that your song can truly be praising my Savior all the day long, each and every day. Would you pray with me? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you speak to us in, in incredible ways, Lord. You speak to us about following you. You speak to us about answering the call to service. God, you spoke to Isaiah so incredibly plainly, giving him the words to say, speaking directly to his face. And God, you speak to us through your holy word through the, the witness that we have around us, the testimony of creation is revealed to us. So God, may it be through your word or through creation or by divine intervention, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you speak to us, encourage us, and compel us to offer our whole lives as living sacrifices to you because you have saved us. You have given us a new lease on life through the salvation given to us by Jesus who died on the cross. God Almighty, we didn't deserve it. We still wonder why you did it. But we know that our gratitude is, is the, all we have. And we show it in the giving of our life, the giving of gifts sacrificing ourselves for you. God, in your spirit, be near to us that we might do all you have called upon us to do, that we might be blessed all the days of our life to be walking in the, in the, in the way of the Lord. By your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.